0: Hello, and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. I love to observe the way that Jesus would shepherd his sheep. Like, you know, being a leader myself, I just, I love to observe the things that Jesus would say and what he would do and how he would treat people and how he would lead, you know, these 12 men that are following him around. And something that I especially take delight in is watching his interactions with Peter, the disciple Peter specifically, because Peter's kind of the guy who, he has the courage to say and do the things everyone wished someone had the courage to do. Right, like Jesus is Jesus is walking out on the water. Everybody's in the boat, kind of you know terrified, hiding, and Peter's the only one who's like, "Hey, who are you?" You know, P- Peter. Peter. They come to arrest Jesus, and I, I think people are probably confused. They're baffled. Maybe they're scared of what's going on. They don't know. They see that someone's coming to take Je- Peter. Just you know, whacks off a dude's ear. This is this is this is Peter, like. So in this moment, we see a specific interaction with the disciples, Jesus and the disciples, but also with with Jesus and Peter specifically. And I think it's it's a good starting place for the rest of the message this morning. So Mark 8, turn with me in your Bibles to Mark 8. I'm going to start us off at verse 27. We'll read a few verses here together. Um, So it says this, Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along... Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say I am? Now, there's been a lot of opinion around this man, Jesus. Um, People are awestruck by his signs, his wonders, his teaching, his wisdom. It's unlike anything they've seen. And in Mark 6, two chapters before, we see that people have sort of voiced their opinions about who they think Jesus might be. Some people think he's uh, John the Baptist back from the dead. Some think he's Elijah. Some think he's just some other great prophet. They're trying to explain who, what is who is this man? His being right is sort of this anomaly. And, and and I love this. I once heard a pastor explain it like this: that they they were they wrestled with who Jesus was to understand who Jesus was. They were confused by his being because they didn't recognize perfection yeah. isn't that good yeah yeah this is what it's like when you're perfect that, that's what it's like that's why we're struggling to figure out who is this man and what is what is he all about i stole it i wish i could take credit for it, but i, I, th- I thought that was good so jesus asked them who do people say i am verse 28 well the disciples reply. Some say John the Baptist, some, some say Elijah, others say you're, you're one of the other prophets. It's like Jesus is like, okay, well, who do you say I am? And then who replies? Peter. Peter says, oh, you're the Messiah for sure. Yeah, I know it. I recognize it. You know, you're the Messiah. And then Jesus, I would say, affirms what Peter said here gently. He says, but Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Now, I think it's interesting that Jesus warns his disciples not to tell everybody that he's the Messiah. And I think part of the reason Jesus didn't want this message proclaimed yet is because the messianic mission, right, it it isn't complete without the cross. So, And that hasn't happened yet. But I also think that the Jewish people are so desperate to be set free from their Roman oppression. You have to remember, this is a Jewish culture. They are being oppressed by Rome, and they are ex- expecting that there's going to be a Messiah who comes back, who helps deliver them politically, physically from their oppression they're experiencing. He's going to be an earthly ruler. He's going to be a king. He's going to be a man of great power. He's going to establish a new kingdom, and he is going to establish a new kingdom, but this is not an earthly kingdom he's coming to establish. This is a heavenly kingdom he's coming to establish, right? So even though, yes, Jesus is the Messiah, they are may be some misconceptions about what the Messiah is to look like and what the Messiah's life is going to look like on earth. And we see that to play out true in the responses coming specifically from Peter here in the next couple of verses. So Peter says, you're the Messiah. And then Jesus warns them not to tell. um, and, And then our interactions continue. Verse 31, then Jesus began to tell them, the son of man must suffer many terrible things. And be rejected by the elders and the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed. And three days later, he'd rise from the grave. And I think they're like, wait a minute. What do you mean you're going to get killed? What do you mean, what do you mean you're going to be rejected by everybody? You're the Messiah. You're, you're supposed to be the guy. You're, you're supposed to establish this new kingdom. And you're supposed to save everybody. What, what, what do you mean? What do you mean you're going to get killed? Right? And, and we see this. It says, uh, verse 32, as he talked about this openly with his disciples. Who? Peter. Peter took him aside and began to reprimand, reprimand him for saying these things. So Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples and reprimanded Peter right back. This is real, you know? Jesus and the disciples turning into the Maury show right here. Just kidding, just kidding. I shouldn't know what that show is. Let's continue. I've never watched it, but obviously you guys have. So. <clears throat> Verse 33, Jesus turned around. Looked at his disciples. He reprimanded Peter, and he said, get away from me, Satan. He said, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not God's view. These are some strong words that Jesus has here as he condemns Peter for essentially being Satan's mouthpiece. But Jesus knew the sacrificial death um, of Jesus was God's plan. And Jesus knew anyone opposing that plan, right, was opposing the will of God. So Jesus rebukes Peter, and then he begins to speak to the disciples and um, the crowd nearby that's listening. So let's watch as this interaction continues. Verse 34, then calling the crowd to join his disciples. This is what Jesus said. Jesus says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Is there anything worth more than the soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person. And when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels, Jesus makes it clear that being a Jesus follower isn't one of these like one foot in, one foot out kind of things. Right, Jesus says, you wanna be my follower, right? You gotta gotta pick up your cross, you gotta gotta die to your way. You, You gotta die to your own way church I, I understand that's that's not sexy but this is this is deeply spiritual we have to grab hold of this Wh- whoever told you that following Jesus means all your problems go away and then life gets easier they forgot to mention that Jesus said hey I came to give you life life to the full I came to give you abundant life everlasting life yes but but you can't follow your way but but I'm the way to those things and you can't follow your way and follow my way at the same time so you got to choose which way are you going to go Can't do them simultaneously. What that means is is, is I'm going to have to give some things up. I'm going to have to leave some things behind. I I can't hang on to my old life and step into and grab hold of the new life that Jesus came to give me. And even though it might feel like loss at times, we have to have faith and trust that it's only gain. Jesus made it clear if we're going to follow him, our life is going to look different and our decisions are going to look different. And there is a calling on every single believer, everyone who claims that name Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life. There is a calling upon us to keep his name holy. I thought it was interesting. You know, Jewish scribes, when, when they would write out the scriptures, when it came to write the name of God, they would actually grab a different tool. They would grab a different pen and they would get brand new ink when they would write his name and then they would switch out, switch out the pen and go back to what they were using to keep his name sacred right? This, this is reverence for the name of God. When you, when you look at the Ten Commandments, literally the third commandment is directly related to keeping the name of God holy. God, God cares, right? And, and I think there's so many of us who, we, we just use the name of God flippantly. All it takes for us is walking through the house when the kids are asleep, stepping on a Lego, and all of a sudden, His name is all over our walls, flying out of our mouth, among many other things, right? How, how, how often are we just willing to say, I swear to God? right? We'll, we'll, just, we'll just throw it out there. And we just flippantly use the name of God. I think sometimes we, we have to be careful, especially in the church where, we, you know, God told me, God, God said, I'm not discrediting the Holy Spirit is still ministering, whispering to hearts, leading people to say things, but let's just make sure that we don't get so comfortable pulling the God card, not taking time to evaluate and discern, is this really what the Lord is saying, right? So I know know that this whole idea of keeping God's name holy was important to Jesus because as we look at his model prayer in Matthew 6, we'll actually come to realize today everything he prayed about in Matthew 6 revolves around this idea of keeping God's name holy. (laughs) Keeping God's name holy. And not just in our speech. We don't just keep God's name holy by saying, heck, when we step on the Lego instead, or goodness, when we step on the Lego instead but we keep God's name holy by the way that we live our life. It's not just what we say, it's what we do. We know this was important to Jesus as, as, as we read through his prayer. So let's look at it. Matthew 6, 5 says this, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. i tell you the truth that that's all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private, and then your father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again and again. Now, we broke this this passage of scripture down verse by verse, and you can go back on the podcast, you know, maybe sometime this week and listen to that message. I don't wanna spend the majority of our time breaking that down, but we talked about how the pagans had multiple gods, and they would throw out these prayers hoping to hit the right God, and if they said things enough times, then it it would get it to work like that or or whatever. There was this manipulation going on that they had, and and Jesus is trying to communicate, listen, that this isn't what prayer is about. Prayer is an intimate connection with your Father, and I'm concerned about the the, the heart of the matter here here that's why he says go away get in your room by yourself and pray to your father who's in private this isn't just to be seen by other people this is about connecting with your creator right so so it's a natural it's an organic filter if we're willing to do something in private then we can probably be assured that our convictions or or that our pursuit is genuine and I I think Jesus is, is trying to train them and teach them I want your pursuit of the father to be genuine not just to be seen by other people So then he goes on. He shares that and then he finishes verse eight. He says, so don't be like them for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask. You don't have to repeat it again and again and again and again to get it right. Now, God calls for us to continue asking and and all that. And there's nothing wrong with continuing to ask God repetitively. And I think that we should. I think persistence is is important. But Jesus goes on to say verse nine like this. He, He says, pray like this. Pray like this, and he gives us this model prayer. He says, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't lead us into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Jesus starts off his prayer. With, with this phrase, Father in heaven, and that's referring to, to one who cares about his family. God cares. God loves you, right? God, God is a good father. Uh, you know, we, we've received a spirit of adoption where we are, we are no longer slaves, but we get to call God Abba, Father, right? That, that's what Roman tells us. So we, we figure that out, and, and then Jesus goes on to pray, and may your name be kept holy. When Jesus prays, may your name be kept holy, what he's essentially praying is, may your name be kept sanctified sanctified. This idea of being made holy or being made sanctified is set apart uh, for a special purpose. May your name be set apart is what Jesus is praying. Help us to set apart your name, right? So, so Jesus is praying, may your name be sanctified. So that, that forces the question, how can we sanctify God's name? How can the name of God be sanctified? As we reflect on the scriptures, as we peer back into the Old Testament, there's a couple of verses that lend to how we can do this, and I want to share um, one of two ways that we can do, well, I'll share two ways we can keep God's name holy. The first action, well, God sanctifies his name. We don't have to do anything, right? God can sanctify his own name by his own actions. In Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-three, it says this. If you guys are at Wednesday Night Life Group, some of this might sound familiar, but it sounds, it says this. I will show how holy my great name is, the name on which you brought shame among the nations. And when I reveal my holiness right through you before their very eyes, says the sovereign Lord, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. Verse 23 says, I will show how holy my great name is. God will show. Now I want us to flip to Numbers Numbers 20, 21. We also discover through the Old Testament text that God's name is sanctified. By our actions. Numbers 20, 21 says, But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness. You did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel. You will not lead them into the land I am giving them. So this begs the question to us believers are we devoted to demonstrating God's holiness through the way which we live our lives? Do we demonstrate God's holiness? May your name be kept holy. Jesus sits with his disciples and he teaches them to pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What Jesus is using right here is a form of parallelism. So even though the the three phrases say something different, they're all um, assuming or or requesting or lending to the, the same idea. So I I know they sound different, but they're all kind of asking the same thing. Father, may your name be kept holy may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The same concept is being communicated where may your name be kept holy. God's name is made holy by the way we live. May your kingdom come. God's reign takes place where he is obeyed, right? And then may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is God's will that you be sanctified. I think we see that in Thessalonians. So Jesus is literally teaching his disciples to pray in layman's terms, may I live my life today in Obedience to you that your name is made sanctified. May I live my life today in obedience to you that your name is made holy. Believers, are we devoted to demonstrating God's holiness through the way in which we live? when you read what Jesus is praying through this lens, everything he goes on to pray after this is revolving, related to that same concept of keeping God's name holy. The next verse, Matthew 6, 11, Jesus prays, give us today the food we need. Give us today, other translations might say, give us today our daily bread. And this whole idea is pulled from the Old Testament. Y'all remember when the Israelites got set free from Egypt, they, they, they crossed the Red Sea, and they're wandering around and God starts feeding them manna from heaven, right, the special bread, and they, they, they got to eat that. Y'all remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so in Deuteronomy, we find out why God did that in the manner in which he did that, okay? It says this, Deuteronomy 8, 2 through 3, remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you, testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands? Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry then feeding you with manna, and then feed a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. Check this out. Here's why he did it. Everyone listening? Yeah. Everyone listening? Yeah. Okay. It says this, he did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Let's make that simple. You live by obedience. You live by trusting God. We have to depend on God. Not not your actions, not storing up enough bread, not gathering enough, you know. This is, I taught you that we do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. There's another verse in Proverbs that revolves around this same idea, the same concept. Proverbs 30. This verse is so good. Now, I read this, I was a little convicted because my prayer might look like, God, give me $1 billion, you know, like just bless me until I'm drowning in the blessing. That's what I want. God, do that. You know, God, I'm happy with the Buick and I'll keep it. But if you want to replace it, God, your will be done. But check out this prayer from, from Proverbs 30. I think this, I think this will challenge many of us in the room. Proverbs 37, 9. It says, Oh God, I beg you two favor, I beg two favors from you. Let me have them before I die. One, let help me to never tell a lie. Okay, that's an interesting request, but fair enough. Help me to never tell a lie. Then second, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Now I know a lot of you haven't pay, prayed for poverty, but some of us maybe have prayed for riches. I think it's interesting he's saying, give me neither poverty nor riches, give me just enough to satisfy my needs. Give me just enough. Well, why would you, why would you pray that? He goes on to explain in verse 9 for if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, Who is the Lord? and if I am too poor, I may steal and insult God's holy name. What what is taking precedent, what's taking priority, the principle here in this proverb, anyone got another P word? (laughs) Is keeping God's name holy. God, I don't want anything to exist in my life that's going to sway me from from keeping your name holy. That's what he's praying. And when Jesus prays this, Right in Matthew 11, give us today our daily bread. Our daily bread it comes down to sanctifying the name of God keeping his name holy it's about total dependence on God cultivating a life that is going to honor his name God give us what we need today it's about it's it's about dependence god want I want to I want to rely on you I want to live a life that honors you this, this is what we see Jesus praying in his prayer father give us today our daily bread give us the food we need help us depend on you and trust you with our lives help us to have dependence on you help us to live in a manner that regards you your name is holy. And then we skip to the end of the verse, Matthew six thirteen. Jesus prays, and don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Jesus is praying for strength and power to not live in disobedience to God or live in a manner that is influenced by our enemy, Satan. He's saying, give me, give me strength. Now, I want to steal something from Pastor Mark Turnage that he said on Wednesday because I thought it was good. Uh, Should have said I came up with it myself, but some of you heard the video. So, But he said this. Thought thought it was good. Praying is not just our words we pray, or prayer is not just the words we pray, but our life is our prayer. How we go about living in between our prayers is essentially what we pray. And and I think what he's getting at is is Jesus didn't just pray, may your name be kept holy, may you provide for us, May may your will be done. You know, may, may, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He didn't just pray, help us, help us to forgive as we've forgiven those, right? Jesus didn't just pray those and then get up and lived however he wanted. But Jesus prayed those things, then got up and, and lived out those things. And, and, and I think there's a calling on us to do the same. Now, I think something that so beautifully illustrates that this is true is this moment Jesus has in, in Matthew 26, And this is where I'll kind of wrap up the morning for us. Matthew 26, 36 through 46. 26, 36, 46. Made it easy on y'all. This is Jesus in the garden. Right before he's about to go to the cross. Right before he's about to get crucified. And Jesus has obviously prophesied in Mark 8 that he's going to die. And three days later, he'll, he'll resurrect. So Jesus knows this is in the cards. And he knows that it's before him. But as that moment gets closer and closer... Uh, you could say anxiety is rising up in Jesus. There's still this. There's still this humanity that Jesus is wrestling with, and Jesus has taken on for our sake. Praise God. Um, and we and we and we see that here. So Matthew 26. You can flip with me in your Bibles. Matthew 26. I'll start at verse 36. It says this. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, "Sit here while I go over there to pray." And he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, "My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and, and keep watch with me. Consider the wrestle that's happening with Jesus right now, whether, whether it's it, it, you know, the anguish, it's, it, it, it's the anguish there. What, what's the other word that it said? Anguish and distress, there's severe stress going on in this moment where, you know, do do we make good decisions when when we're in that state? Can you imagine having, feeling that, but but still having self-control to carry out the will of God? This is Jesus, but remember, what what has Jesus prayed all this time? May your name be kept holy, May may your will be done. So so we get to listen to Jesus' prayer, but but he says, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. I'm struggling. I'm struggling, this is Jesus. He went on a little farther and he bowed his face to the ground praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Something that's always encouraged me about this moment with Jesus is that Jesus followed God's will even when it wasn't necessarily his preference. Because, let's be honest, sometimes this following Jesus thing conflicts his way, sometimes conflicts with my way, with what I want to do, how I want to act, where I want to go, what I want to take part in, right? But there's this, but, but his way, but, but again, I love, I love Jesus is saying, even though Jesus feels differently, would prefer technically maybe something else a different way, trying to find, is, is there another way we can accomplish the same thing here, Lord? Nonetheless, your will be done. This is what it's gotta be. This is what it's gotta be, and I'll submit to it. I love that Jesus wasn't, you know, that we're not the only ones who have that wrestle. We, we see Jesus in the midst of it. Then he turned to his disciples, and he found them asleep. And he said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Come on, Peter. Why are you always acting up, Peter. Can you watch me, even one hour? Keep watching, and pray so that you'll not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them for a second and prayed, or left them for a second time and prayed, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. And when he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So let's consider the state that Jesus is in. Extreme anguish, extreme distress. All these guys who see him as this leader, they look up to him. You know, they've, they've devoted their lives to following this man around. They're sleeping. They don't have eyes on him. It is just Jesus and God. And what's so incredible is is we actually had a meeting in Pastor Chad's office with Mark Turnage, and he did a short teaching on, on this moment, and he talks about where Jesus was geographically in this moment and how he actually had the ability to just skate off. There's like this one hill he has to go over, and then he's off in the wilderness, gone never to be found again. So if Jesus so chose, he could have easily escaped in this moment. He goes, I've been there, I've, I've seen it. I've been on Golgotha, I've, I've, been, I've been to Gethsemane, I, I, I've seen it, and Jesus has this opportunity, and he's sitting there, you know, he had to have been tempted to just, I can just avoid this and, and go on. And Yet Jesus remains, even with no one watching, his prayer, Father, you, you will be done. Right, I've, I've always been moved by that. Verse 44, so he we went to pray a third time. Saying the same things again. And then he came to the disciples and he said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. You can come on, Keys, if you don't mind. But I've always been moved by Jesus, desiring God's will, God's holiness glorified even before his preference and desires, um, his, his own preference and desires. But we see that what, what I love is Jesus didn't just pray, may your name be kept holy, may your kingdom come, may you reign, may you be Lord, right? M- m- will we live in, in submission to you? We see that Jesus actually lived that out. Jesus didn't just pray about it, he, he lived it, right? And I think there's a message in that for us. And I think part of the reason Jesus was even capable to respond, right? Jesus probably prayed daily, Father, may your name be kept holy. I want to live a life that honors glorifies you. May your name be kept holy. And when Jesus teaches others to pray, his disciples here, specifically in Matthew 6, his prayer revolves around this whole idea of our life honoring God, depending on God, and glorifying God with all of our being. It's not wrong to pray for other things, right? The scriptures say, make every request known, right? Don't be anxious about anything, Pray about everything. That's what the scriptures tell us. I, I would argue the scriptures even encourage us to pray about everything, right? But Jesus here in this, in this model prayer prioritized the sanctification of God's name. So, so church, let's live lives that keep the name of God sanctified and ask him to help us do it, right? There's this incredible verse in Colossians 1:15, and it says that Christ is the visible, everyone say visible, Christ is the visible image of an invisible God, of the invisible God. Christ is is God personified, keeping the name of God sanctified, keeping the name of God holy. We know this is not separate from Jesus in our own lives, right? When, When we submit ourselves to the person of Jesus and the principles he taught, we submit ourselves to God. Amen? But but here's the deal: to, to reflect Christ, we need a relationship with Christ. To reflect Christ, we need we need to know Christ intimately, an active, daily, intimate relationship with Jesus. And, and, and here's what happens when I when I put my faith in Christ as the Messiah, where he died, where He, he came to earth and He died, so I could switch spots with Him, and, and my sin wouldn't wouldn't keep me from the things of God, but He made a way. Jesus told, told us, I'm the way, I'm the truth. Right? And when we when we put our our faith in that fact he fills us with his Holy Spirit. Our spirit is united with God's spirit. We're given power to live like Jesus lived, right? He does that. We, we believe that here at Destiny Church, we believe God gives the free gift of salvation to all who place their faith in Jesus Christ. And we believe that God did this because he loves you. And like I said, when you you place your faith in Jesus, that Holy Spirit inhabits your heart, makes you new. Salvation is deeply spiritual. It's powerful. It's the greatest gift you could ever receive. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me slash give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.